Hello, welcome to the Creative Writing Life podcast. I'm Justin Sloan. And I'm Paul Zeidman. I've had the pleasure of knowing our guest for quite a long time. Uh, he's actually in one of my books, uh, the uh, books about screenwriting, that is. But we're not going to talk about that as much today. Uh, very hearty welcome to Ashley Scott Myers. Ashley, thanks for coming hello, on the hello. show. Hey, thank you guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, our we're excited pleasure. to chat. I'm going to let Justin do this because, okay, so oh, let's just sure. do a quick setup. So Ashley's been doing the sellingyourscreenplay.com and the Selling Your Screenplay podcast for quite some time. So he's been a writer and a filmmaker, but now he is venturing into, to me, that very nebulous region known as NFTs, and so which is really Justin's forte. So uh, I was hoping we could talk a little bit about the film, but if you want to start with NFTs, we can do that. Yeah. It's, it's totally up to you. Yeah, it's probably the one that people know least about uh, on this show. Uh, we haven't had a lot of discussions on it before, so it's a good place to start. And then we can- And I think, I, I think genuinely, we'll, we'll, this will be the setup and hopefully we'll circle back by the end, but I do- think nfts offer artists and especially your audience your creative writing and i'm not sure i'm not you know I, i'm a screenwriter a filmmaker so i've spent my time thinking about how these nfts are going to intersect with film but my guess is they will intersect with you know novels and short stories and the kindle you know all of that stuff will start to sort of intersect with some of this stuff so you know i think people should as artists creative artists independent artists getting to sort of familiar with this stuff is not a bad idea because i think long term they're could be a lot of benefits for just independent artists yeah for sure uh we do always start off with like have you been watching reading listening to anything lately and uh paul and i could probably start on that uh i am caught up on 1923 they're about to have their last episode and they're having a streaming party tonight for that episode in west hollywood and i was so thinking about going but it's a q a with actors and i'm like i don't like care that much about actors so. <laughs> yeah so i probably will is that, that. Is, I'm really is, excited about the show is Taylor Sheridan? Uh, he's he's because it's based off of uh, 1883 or Yellowstone, I guess. It's a spinoff, yeah. Spinoff. So is he directly involved with the show, or is he just a producer? He's the writer. Yeah. Oh, he's he the writer. All these okay. things. He's yeah. He, that guy blows me out of the water in terms of. He blows he everybody wrote, out of the water. Yeah, he wrote 1883 also. So 1883, 1923, and Yellowstone, and on both of those shows, and I believe Yellowstone probably. Uh, he's the sole writer, and that's just insane. I oh, love that guy. <laughs> wow, that... How about you? Anything anything good, Paul? Well, it's been a busy week for me because uh, last week was the San Francisco Writers Conference, and I've, I've been a panelist on there because they have a, a, a kind of an access to Hollywood type of uh, track, and I've been a panelist on some of the screenwriting panels, and this year I've kind of stepped up. I was a moderator for some of the panels because I've gotten to become uh, pretty connected with a woman who is running that section, and actually next year I'm going to be running the the Hollywood track. So it's all about me now. <laughs> so uh, that's, so I was kind of preoccupied for a lot of the weekend, so I didn't get to watch anything. Uh, I did kind of uh, have a decompression session and there's a, a show on Netflix that I really enjoy. It's called Somebody Feed Phil, which is Phil Rosenthal who created uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. He travels around the world eating and that's pretty much it. And I, I love the, the food aspect of it and the travel's really cool. And just, it's fun to watch him uh, try all these new foods and he, he, he really goes all over the world and uh it was it's just it's just a relaxing it's kind of it's like visual comfort food i think that's the best way i could put it so yeah i think they're up to like six seasons now but it's only like five episodes a season so it's it's a an easy watch and it's also a fun and delicious watch as well ashley what about you anything uh, you've read or watched recently yeah, you know, um, I asked this question on my podcast and it throws people and it threw me for a second. Um, so I had to think, but just this week I've been watching and maybe this is an old 
old hat for some people, but it's Nicolas Cage's movie called Pig. And um, mm. I haven't gotten all the way through it, but um, it's really a fascinating story. It's about Nicolas Cage is this truffle hunter where he's got this, you know, award-winning pig that can sniff out these truffles and then some people come and steal it. But it has sort of a real gritty winter's bone vibe to it. Um, so it's really fascinating. It's just, you know, this guy's love for his pet, pet pig and, and this pig that also brings about his livelihood gets stolen. And it's just a quest to get this pig back um, in this sort of gritty, as he said, winter bones sort of setup. Is that streaming anywhere? Yeah, it was. I saw it on streaming. Don't quote me on this, but I think it was Hulu I was watching on. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, I've, I've, heard definitely... a lot, I, I've heard a lot of good things about that. And yeah. uh, it's it's supposedly like, you know, for all the schlock that he makes, it's like mm -hmm. one of his better movies. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty fascinating movie and well done. And Nicolas Cage brings it. You know, he doesn't always bring it to some of these low budget movies, but this is a pretty good, pretty good performance. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. I think he's been doing a great job in some of his more recent ones. And I'm excited mm -hmm. for National Treasure 3 coming out soon. So Okay. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I roll. Back in the 90s, I yeah. can't escape it or whatever that was. Yeah, so we're here to talk about your project. And you recently did some stuff with uh, NFTs. Or actually, well, yeah, just give us an update on where that is now, what the status is, and how sure. it's been going. Okay, sure. So what I did was I did an independent horror film called The Rideshare Killer, and we shot it right before COVID started. So we spent a year or so in editing, and then we did the festivals, and now we're out for distribution. Um, and it's just a simple setup. It's a serial killer is using an app like an Uber app to basically lure victims into his car. He's posing as a driver, and then he murders these victims. And then the people running the company get involved in sort of solving the mystery along with the police. We have Eric Roberts as our name. He plays one of the police detectives. And um, so it's just, it's a mystery, you know, who is done it. We set it up. So there's a bunch of different sort of sketchy suspects and then become sort of a whodunit mystery. So as we got done this movie, I just started thinking, how am I going to market it? And um, so I've been getting involved. We're just getting interested in crypto. And really this is, you know, pretty organic. My kids, they're young, 10 and now 13 years old. They spend a lot of time on TikTok. So I thought, you know what? I need to spend a lot of time on TikTok just to kind of get a feel for what they're actually watching. Um, so I started watching TikTok. And of course, it has this very sophisticated algorithm. And so apparently I'm interested in crypto and it figured that out. So I started getting tons and tons of these crypto influencers and just started learning about crypto and NFTs. So a lot of my knowledge has come just sort of just listening to these crypto influences on TikTok. And as I started to get to understand it and get more involved with it, I started thinking about how is crypto going to sort of intersect with movies? Since I'm a filmmaker, you know, what is the future of that? I, I've come to sort of under, I've come to sort of believe that I'm a, I'm a very bullish on crypto in general. I think it's here to stay. I think it's going to impact a lot of industries. Um, and NFTs is going to be a part of that. And NFTs are sort of a little... Un misunderstood, I think now, because to start, they're kind of just art. And there's there's a valid sort of criticism that, well, I could just, you know, right click and save as you don't need to own the thing. But what the NFTs do is they establish ownership and it creates something that has scarcity because they're one of one. The whole idea is NFT, non-fungible tokens. It means literally that, that it's there, it's a unique one of one item. So I got the bright idea um, to go and mint. I thought, okay, how is this 
just going to intersect with films. Now, taking a step back, just watching what other filmmakers have been doing with crypto and NFTs, and I've been hearing about this for years, um, since really about 2016, 2017, I've been running into producers that want to fund movies through crypto. And typically, at least three, four, five years ago, they were trying to create their own token. So they would create, you know, rideshare killer token and try and sell that much like or get people to buy into it, much like Bitcoin. And sometimes there was some success stories. So some producers were able to actually do that. And then now that we're in the NFTs have sort of started to take off. That's what I've seen before as well as people try and basically basically sell these NFTs before their movie is made. And then they try and fund their movie through the sale of these NFTs. And I, you know, I, I as, as um, Paul mentioned, I have my own podcast, sellingyourscreenplay.com. So I get publicists coming with me, pitching me projects. So, you know, I'm curious about new technology, new things. So I would get occasionally someone pitching me something, you know, with these NFTs or crypto. And so I've been sort of following it, but I never felt just and and again, I understand it pretty well, but I never felt like these were very compelling to me as as a because I mean, first and foremost, I'm a film fan. I got into filmmaking because I love movies and I love the process and the create, you know, the whole bit. I'm a film, I'm truly am a film fan. And so I, I didn't see any real value to the film fans by offering a bunch of artwork that was created before the movie. They would mint this artwork, maybe a, they would create a poster and mint a bunch of different versions of the poster and NFTs. I just, as a fan, I never, it never got me excited to join in and, and participate in this. So I started to think like, what would I, how, as a film fan, what would I actually like to own? And the the, the conclusion that I drew was pretty simple. I, I grew up watching the Star Wars movies. Those really were my favorite films as a kid. Me and my brother had all the toys. And one of the, the pieces that we had was these Star Wars cards. And you used to go to 7-Eleven, I think it was maybe a dollar or something. It was very inexpensive. You get a pack of maybe 10 cards with a dried out piece of bubble gum in them. And that was usually a sticker. And we loved these cards. We would trade them. We would bring them to school and you could flip them over and you could actually make like a puzzle, like certain, certain different um, groupings of them would create like a bigger picture puzzle. You could flip on the back. Some of them would have facts on the back, but the bottom line was they were inexpensive and they were a lot of fun. They let you reminisce about the film and that sort of, that sort of stuff. We would trade them with, with the friends. So I started to think, okay, what, how, what is sort of the modern equivalent of that? And that's when I came to this conclusion that I think in the future, this will become standard issue is that films will start minting every single frame. Cause that's the thing we have as filmmakers. We've got a lot of different frames. Every frame of the movie is a still image. And so that was the conclusion I drew was, I think that's the future. Filmmakers are going to mint every frame into an NFT and then offer these things as NFTs. And then film fans could, could go and they could buy them. And again, I, I, I would love to own one of the original frames from the original Star Wars movie, or really any of the Star Wars movies, but certainly that episode four, Star Wars, that would be fantastic. Don't think of how much money those would be worth if somebody had minted those things into NFTs and there truly was a one-of-one -one ownership, scarce, that much scarcity. Um, so that's sort of the direction that I'm going. And now I'm just trying to kind of get word out and, um, and, and start to get other people to recognize this. Because again, I think maybe I'm a little ahead of the curve on this, but I do eventually think everybody will sort of arrive at the same conclusion. Because it just, to me, where I sit, it makes sense for the filmmakers. It's another revenue stream, but it also makes sense to the film fans. And I very much see a world 
in the next couple of years as this starts to build and take off, people will have these on their cell phones. And you know, you'll have a little app that has all your NFTs and you can just go to your party and you can show your friends, oh, I got this frame and this frame and this frame and from this movie. And just like those Star Wars cards, you would reminisce about the movie. You would have, you know, you would have um, frames from your favorite movies, from your favorite scenes, from your favorite actors. You would trade them. I'm sure they'll figure it out so you can just have this app on your phone and you just trade them back and forth with your friends. So all of this sort of technology, once it's in place, I just think it will be incredibly fun. And again, there's a lot of these. I mean, our movie was 84 minutes and we had about 120,000 individual frames. So there's a good number of frames. And, um, but again, I think that's part of the fun is it's one of one. I mean, there's, you can only, there's a lot of frames that are very similar, but each frame is an NFT and it's a unique one of one. So only one person can own that one specific NFT. And, um, Again, I just think that to me, this would be the value for film fans. It would be something that I would love to love to own. And just, I ask this question of people, just think about what your favorite movie is and think about if you could own a one of one frame, you could be the owner of this one specific frame in that movie. I think yeah, people right. would get excited. Yeah, <laughs> very interesting concept. Have, have you seen a lot of other projects doing similar yet or copycatting? So no, so we just did this a couple. Okay. I mean, we just finished a few months ago, sort of towards the end of last year. So no, nobody else has done this. And I think, you know, just from my own standpoint, I think there potentially could be some historical significance to what we've done because we are the first one to do this. Now, other films have minted frames to NFTs, but nobody has minted the entire movie, every single frame. And in fact, this was sort of just where the idea came from. I had a guy on my podcast, he had minted about 20 frames from his um from his movie into NFTs. And I asked him, I said, well, why didn't you just mint every frame? And his response, I think, was intuitive and, and, and somewhat correct. He said, well, some of the frames are black, some of the frames are blurry, some of the frames aren't that great And this. And I just thought, to me, I thought, well, that could be part of the fun, mint every frame into an NFT and let the fans decide which are the valuable frames. I mean, right. you know, the, 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 that scene from The Shining of Jack Nicholson bashing through the door, that's an iconic frame, but that came from the studio. You know, let mint every frame into an NFT and let's see what the free market actually decides. What are the frames that people actually value? Um, mm -hmm. And again, the other piece to this is we've offered them at a, most of the frames are selling for about $5. So they're fairly inexpensive. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a, it's an easy, quick way to just get into the NFT world and not have to, you know, risk really much money at all. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do NFT launches as you might be aware, but like, mm -hmm. There's the whole process of whitelisting where people have to like kind of prove themselves as part of your team before they're allowed to mint. Uh, mm -hmm. Did you do anything like that or what was your launch? Strategy? No. Yeah. So, I mean, my launch was just like any kind of product launch that I'm used to doing. And I do, I'm, you know, I'm not really on the inside of the NFT or the crypto community. So I'm trying to sort of bang my way in now and I'm, I'm having some success. I'm, you know, reaching out to, to these crypto bloggers, crypto podcasters and, and, and starting to have communication. Really, I've been on a couple of their podcasts. But no, we didn't, we didn't do as good as I think we could have or should have with our launch. Um, just really, cause I probably didn't fully understand what that meant. I mean, again, I'm, I'm sort of new to the NFTs and crypto space. They're very much into like discord. I mean, I've downloaded discord and truthfully, I can't really figure out how people get much value out of something like discord. So I'm still, but that's sort of, that's part of what, you know, there's something that I'm missing. It's not that discord doesn't provide value. It's that I haven't figured out what value it's providing. So there's, there's still some things that I'm trying to figure out like that, yeah. um, sort of this community aspect to building this.
I'll tell you what, the Discord uh, can be useful, but it's a lot of work. And usually like teams that I see doing well on it have like 10 people on their Discord, you know, community team mm -hmm. and they're engaging and coming up with marketing strategies and questions and all these ways to get people to engage. And it's oh, exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what no I judgment found. on my part for, for yeah, that's what I found there. <laughs> yeah. I, I tried minting some characters from my novels a long time ago. And like when this was first kind of getting mm -hmm. popular, like two or three years ago, uh, you know, more mainstream. And um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing either. So I, I feel you on that regard, but I, I did way worse than you. But my thought was like, Hey, if you buy one of these characters, then you can have some ownership in the direction of the novels. And like, I'll include you on this inner team and stuff. And I thought it'd be fun. Mm -hmm. I sense saw people coming out with different kind of NFT strategies in similar veins that uh, I was never attacked. Luckily, I kind of just did it and failed and gave up but they got media attention and like, we're just bombarded with attacks from the other authors in the community. And I'm just like, wow, huh. there's such hatred out there. And I'm, I'm curious, have you come across any like negative buzz and maybe it's negative is good regardless. I don't know. I mean, what do they say? The uh, media coverage is media news is news, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> press, that's what it was. Any yeah. It's I, you know, it's, I haven't, I wouldn't say I've run into like really negative stuff, but I can say this. I mean, as selling your screenplay, um, the audience is probably mostly people like myself. Um, mm -hmm. And so they don't really understand crypto. So, you know, a lot of times on my podcast, I'll say, Hey, you know, I was working on an animation project. And I say, if you have, if you have any experience in animation, just drop me an email. I'd love to hear from you. And, you know, I'll get a handful of emails from people and I'll be able to learn something or get to know some people with crypto. I've mentioned it never times. Nobody ever, you know, emails me asking about it. So I can tell my audience definitely is not into the crypto, um, but I haven't gotten any negative. So it's sort of, it's been subdued as far as that goes, but I haven't gotten really a lot of like hate or um negative things and especially you know we i do realize our timing was really off i mean the ftx collapse i mean crypto is sort of at sort of a low point right now um so it's not necessarily the greatest timing and as you said the nfts really took off like a year ago year and a half ago it would have been much better if we had done this like a year and a half ago i think yeah yeah for sure so. paul i know you have some confusion probably going on over there oh so. always always with <laughs> nfts uh so as a uh, I think I either said it uh, before we started or right after we started. So I really am the layman in mm -hmm. this situation. I kind of have a, a very flimsy grasp of the whole concept. So you're talking about, okay, so you are minting the frame. And so what does the person do? So they want to, so someone said, okay, I want to buy a frame from Rideshare Killer mm -hmm. and it's five bucks. Okay, here's, they send you the five bucks. So what do they get in return? How do they... I guess, store it because you were talking about it like it's a, almost like a virtual trading card, which, okay, mm -hmm. I understand that part. So, but then they have it. So what can they do with it? Do they just hold it? And you were talking about an app for it. So it kind of like take us through the process with this. Okay. So just taking a step back, um, you, you, and I'll give you a couple of examples that I think might make some sense. They have nothing to do with film or creative writing or anything, but the, the, the basic way I try and describe it to people, I mean, all that crypto is, is it's a publicly available, they, you know, they call it a diversity decentralized. Um, it's basically just like an Excel spreadsheet. It's just a, it's just a table is really it all is. It's a database of information. And the way it works is, is it's on millions of computers. So they have some ability to talk to each other and sort of decide to come to a consensus. And once they come and that's, so, so you send your request to them and this request, that's what, when you say Bitcoin mining, that's what the computers are actually doing. They're doing these algorithms to figure out if that username and password is correct. And once they come to an, a, a conclusion of that, then 
they they reach out to these other Bitcoin miners and there's a consensus mechanism to make sure that that's a valid username and password. And then it records this thing on the blockchain. And the blockchain, all it really is, is a publicly available ledger. It's just an Excel spreadsheet that's available that you can see, that everybody can see. So that's what people decide. Okay, well, you know, we can record NFTs. We can record a one of one on these blockchains. So as an example, like a real use case example of this, which we're starting to see is... If an artist, like a normal artist, is does a canvas painting, you know, oil on canvas painting, he he has it. Let's just say he makes it. He takes a digital, you know, he takes a picture of it, and then he mints that digital picture onto the blockchain as an NFT. So then he has the NFT, and he also has the physical painting. When he sells that physical painting, it it also goes along with the NFT. So the problem that has been now solved is there is a it's it's it, it, ownership is never going to be in question forevermore. A hundred years, a thousand years, ten thousand years, assuming this blockchain is still around, that authenticity will never be in question because you'll be able to look on this public ledger when it got sold, how much it got sold for, and it's publicly available, so there can't be any you know manipulating it and that sort of stuff. So you've then removed there's sort of a cottage industry that you've removed. You don't have to if you're gonna if you're in the, the the market for high priced artwork, you don't necessarily have to hire some art expert to go, you know, look at it and make sure that it's the original one. Cause you can do this very easily on the blockchain. So that's sort of a, a use case. And you can see this NFTs again are one of one. So there's a million things in our worlds that are one of one. This house that you're sitting in now, it's the same thing. Eventually we're going to mint every piece of real estate into an NFT. And then when that real estate gets sold, the new owner is going to take possession possession of that NFT, that's going to be their proof of title. And this whole cottage industry where you, when you buy a house, you got to hire a lawyer to go do a title search to make sure there's no liens against the house, all of this stuff, it'll be on this public ledger. So they'll, it'll be much, 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 much more efficient when you're transferring these one of one things. Same thing, like you could mint your driver's license. Your driver's license is a unique one of one thing minted onto the, to the blockchain. And then when the police pull you over, they'll have some contraption that you can verify and they'll be able to look at your driver's license on this blockchain. And again, it will be authentic. They'll know it's authentic because only you will have the username and password to actually bring up that ID. So it'll just make things, there'll be, you know, it'll just make things more authentic. There'll be problems that are solving where you don't have to necessarily hire a lawyer to go do a title search and these kinds of things. The NFTs and the blockchain can solve some of those problems. So then bringing this to film. So what do you actually get? And one of the ways that I look at this is I have these, I have two two daughters and they play this game called Roblox a lot. And there's games within it. And one of them is called Adopt Me. And you go in there and you have this virtual character and all your friends and people you don't know. And there's millions of people in this game that you interact with. You run around this virtual world. But in Adopt Me, you get these, these digital pets and you can buy them, you can earn them. And there's all, you can trade them and everything else. But what I realized from watching them is that they really put a lot of value into the ownership of these digital assets. There's no real world you know, you don't get a, a a a stuffed animal to to go along with this this digital asset. You're just trading the digital asset in the digital world, and that's how I see these NFTs working at, for film. I mean, it's just basically like a trading card, a baseball card, or a Star Wars card that you have. I mean, what is the actual value when you really think about it? It's just all it is is a bunch of ink on a piece of cardboard. It has no intrinsic value. Uh, you know, a, a baseball card has no intrinsic value. A diamond or gold, there's some intrinsic value because there's 
industrial uses for diamonds. There is an intrinsic value to those things. There's no intrinsic value to a baseball card or frankly, a CD or a record or a record couple of things. It's it's the value that we give it as humans. We take that, that Babe Ruth rookie card and we say it's worth $50,000, but there's no real intrinsic value to it. And again, it's it's the possession of the ownership that gives it that value. And so that's how I do see it with these with these film NFTs. It's going to be a it's for collectors. It's going to be something that people that like the film, they like to collect. And it's just exactly what I laid out with the Star Wars cards. You just it's just fun and if you're a film fan, it'll be just cool to own some of these NFTs. They'll be one of one. You'll be the owner of that particular frame. You can show it to your friends, trade it. I think long term I was not able to figure this out on a technical front, but I also think long term there will be a lot of perks that come along with this. Like for instance, if you buy one of these NFTs from the the film using my my film as an example, if you were to buy one of these rideshare killer NFTs, then you could also go to a website and log in. Again, you could use your same username and password. You could be verified on the blockchain. You're starting to see this where you log into websites using your MetaMask wallet. You're using your blockchain credentials and then you could view the movie or download the movie. So I also think that's going to be another angle. There's going to be more utility that gets baked into these NFTs. Like what I'm saying, you buy this NFT for, let's say you bought one for $25 and then boom, as long as you own that NFT, you will have access to the movie. You can watch the movie. You can log into this website, download the movie. So there'll be sort of these technical things that go along with the NFTs. Again, you could trade it to somebody else and that kind of thing. The other thing, there's also some other things. So anyways, I think that answers your question. Um, hopefully uh, I well, can go on. So like, wanna... well, well, the one question I did have that kind of came up was like, so how do you access the blockchain? Because okay, so you said because I'm I'm visualizing you 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 portrayed it as a kind of a ledger. Okay, I get that. Mm -hmm. Then you and there you were talking about putting the NFTs on this blockchain as you know as I guess entries. So mm -hmm. how do you access the blockchain? So you can, anybody can access the blockchain. It's publicly available. And mm -hmm. there's, the, I mean, like you're it, it, like the specific technical answer. I'm not sure of, like, I don't know how you can actually go and download the blockchain, but sure. there's things like I minted mine on this thing called Polygon. It's a, it's a token called Matic. It's a layer two on Ethereum. So it's basically on the Ethereum blockchain, but it uses, it's this layer two. So it's built onto Ethereum. So it's a little bit cheaper and you can go to this thing. You can go to Etherscan, you can go to polyscan.com com and they that's a website and you can put in like the ledger id and you can see like the history of it so that's just a physical way to actually go and look at it is this poly scan or ether scan all of the tokens have some equivalent of that where it just you know a, lay, a layman can go in and type in the the address and they can see what's gone on with that particular block okay that that does that does help a little bit so but it, it's i think I, yeah, I think the next phase to this, though, is that's not particularly user friendly, let's be honest. And so that's what I'm saying. The next phase to this is places, companies like MetaMask, you've heard of MetaMask Wallet. That's essentially what that is. That's essentially an interface into the blockchain. You put your credentials into MetaMask Wallet. It's it's a Chrome extension. So then you have it on your browser. And then when you go to one of these websites like Rarible, OpenSea, where you buy NFTs, you actually open up your MetaMask Wallet through this Chrome extension, connect 
connect to Rarible, connect to OpenSea. And then that's actually your blockchain username and password. And that's how you can actually move things. So anybody can view the blockchain, but only you with your username and password can actually move something from your block to somebody else's block. So that's how you actually do it with this MetaMask wallet. And again, as technology improves, as this becomes more mainstream, I anticipate there'll be a lot more user-friendly um, interfaces and a lot more user-friendly ways of using this. One of the issues I think that that crypto has is it has this sort of anarchy ethos to it. And so that, you know, it's it's difficult to access the blockchain right now. It's difficult to sort of interact with it. And I think there's some resistance. Like if a big company comes in and makes it easy to interact with the blockchain, well, guess what? They're going to need to get paid. They're going to need to make a living. So then all of a sudden you're paying them to interact with the blockchain. So these things need to be figured out. How much is, is actually, how much value do these companies things? But MetaMask has to make a living too. You know, these companies have to make money. So there is going to be some level most likely between you as an individual user and you and the blockchain. There will be somebody between you and the blockchain, most likely, unless you get pretty technical um, and really dig into it and understand exactly what's going on. Okay. So where would somebody like me, who really is kind of like, you know, still learning about this, so where would mm -hmm. I go to kind of like get a good presentation of the basics? Like if I wanted to sign on or is there, is there a website that's kind of like, you know, like intro to NFTs or like, as we were saying before, NFTs for dummies and you know, yeah. I would be the dummy in this. Yeah. Situation. You know, it's a good question. I don't have anything specific, but when I was okay. sort of starting out, I did just go to YouTube and just type in what is an NFT, how sure. do NFTs work. But I personally, I learn by doing not necessarily reading something or watching someone tell me how to do it. So I, if I were just honestly interested in this, I would would recommend you know hopefully you have google chrome as a browser just download the metamask wallet and um and just it's free to download the metamask wallet it's a chrome extension and then go to OpenSea, go to rarible.com and just try and get a buy a little crypto you know buy 10 20 50 worth of crypto and just buy some cheap nfts and just to kind of learn how it works that's literally what i did you know i just mm -hmm. i did that and i minted a few from my previous movie the pinch just as sort of a test i went and minted like 10 of those frames just just to sort of understand how it works. Um, so that's my recommendation is to go and, and and do that. And I, you know, before the interview, I, I meant to ask you guys about this, but I've been going on these crypto podcasts and offering free, like if you want a, one of the, our, the rideshare killer frames for free, just email me. I'm happy to give out free frames. It's called an airdrop. You know, you're early. We're early in the cycle. So, and there's 120,000 of these things. So, so really, if any of your users want a free NFT from the first movie that ever did this, I'm happy to give them. Just email me info at sellingyourscreenplay.com. The one caveat I have though is, is that if you don't understand crypto at all and you don't have a MetaMask wallet, it's not like there's anything I can do for you. Uh, you have to have this, this, and it's not, it gets more complicated than that. You really, you need a polygon address, not just a Bitcoin wallet or ether. You know, you actually need this Matic wallet and, and it get, does get a little bit of complicated. So if you don't understand that it's probably, it's probably not quite right for you now, but if anybody listened to this does have a polygon wallet and address, just email me too. And I'm happy to give you some frames. Um, but there is a technical hurdle and, and, and I don't really know how to get people past that other than just hoping that the industry at large gets more acceptance and sort of becomes more wide, wide, you know, mainstream. 
Yeah, that's good. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it sounds like someone who is wants to learn about it. I guess follow follow that advice. You know, watch the videos, kind of uh, get the basic understanding of it, and then once they get is a MetaMask wallet, mm -hmm. and then they can get in touch with you. I think it's probably almost it's like a checklist. Like, okay, mm -hmm. you know, learn learn about NFTs, tinker with NFTs, contact Ashley. Yeah. And let, let me put it to you like this. My producing partner, Tony, we were just trying to mess around. We said, well, let me try and send you, you know, one of these just to see how it worked. He was not able to figure out how to get a, a Polygon address. So, so we gave up on that. So it's, it's not for the faint of heart at this point, there is some technical challenges. And frankly, I don't even understand. I had another friend that seemed to understand crypto. She sent me her address. I sent her some frames and she never received them and stuff. So, you know, I just, there is still some issues. Um, it just it is a little bit it's opaque there is there is that to it still wow uh so. that uh, you, know, you have to understand so like for someone like me it, it, it's a lot of just getting all of this information at once it's a mm -hmm. little overwhelming but i think you're helping to clarify it a little bit that you're making it a little easier to understand for the 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 technical layperson and that really helps because it sounds like a fascinating concept and a fascinating process, but I think it's just kind of trying to like really wrap your head around how it works mm -hmm. and how how you would go through with it and also what what you can do with it once you get into that space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, just taking a step back, I, it's and this is where I think crypto really will get wide, you know, widespread adoption. It's not going to be that long before you can go into a restaurant and just like you have that Apple Pay where you can wave your phone over the the little credit card machine, you'll be able to do that with Bitcoin or or Ethereum. And and that's and once that starts to happen, then you we will really see widespread adoption. The the one thing, and I like I'm bullish on crypto, but I'm also not blind to some of the, some of its real shortcomings and one of the one of the problems is you know the the it's not the problem it's part of it's it's the good and the bad is that you know you're going to be able to go into a restaurant and you're going to be able to transfer let's say your meal was $30 you're going to be able to transfer them $30 and there's not going to be that credit card processing fee of 3% so the restaurants are going to like to do this the downside is is that you know there's no customer support. We've outsourced the customer support to nobody. There's no fees. You're not going to pay the 3%, but guess what? If something goes wrong with your Visa card transaction, you can call your bank because they're getting a percentage of that 3%. So there's some infrastructure to pay customer support and things. And that's one of the biggest, one of the biggest problems in crypto is you have to maintain your own keys yourself, your username and password. And it's these long, you know, you know, long strings of numbers and, and letters that you can never remember. So you've got to keep those. And if somebody gets those keys, they have access to hundred percent. I mean, they can transfer your crypto out of there. So there's that piece. And again, there's no customer support because we're not paying anybody, any, any customer support fees. That's the good news is the, the restaurant gets hundred percent of that money or 99.99% of that money. Um, the Bitcoin miners will take a small sliver of that, but it's going to be way less than the 3%. So, I mean, think about what the 3% is like a drag on our economy. Almost every transaction in the Western world is through Visa card or MasterCard, American Express, and they're taking this 3%. So that is a drag on the economy. When you think about that, 3% of almost every transaction that goes on is being weighted down by these, these credit card companies. And I don't know, now in 20 years, if these companies that are you know facilitating these Bitcoin transactions, if they're charging 3%, then what have we really gained? But hopefully they won't. Hopefully it'll be a minuscule percent, like a half percent or a quarter percent and then the fees will be down but we'll be able to transfer money around okay that that's a good point
Yeah, it's a lot to stomach for sure, everybody. A lot, uh, the whole NFT world. And I think that's, yeah, been like the biggest hurdle with a lot of this is when they manage, and some have been doing this, when when everybody manages to be able to just make it a transaction just like anywhere else, Mm -hmm. where it feels like a credit card fee or something else, just a click of a website link and it goes to your bank, whatever. But right now there's all these things that you're talking about with Polygon and with payments, MetaMask and all these it, uh, it, even for me, and I've been working in this stuff for a year and a half now or so, uh, can be scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely, it, it definitely can. I mean, as I said, there's no customer support. So if you send someone $100 and they don't get it and you don't have it in your wallet, it's just gone. I mean, that's the bottom line. Um, so there is those kinds of issues. And clearly those kinds of things, they have to be figured out. I mean, that's not going to work for most people. Um, it just, it's just not going to work. That's not really a viable solution for the average person. Yeah. So uh, I wonder if we want to switch a little bit and just chat about you as a filmmaker again, because we had you on our show a long time ago, but if you have any other updates about, I don't know, whatever new projects you're working on, what you Mm -hmm. think you have next, any, any other cool strategies you're considering? Uh, Yeah, let's let's open the floor. Yeah, yeah. So and, and again, I'll take a step back is with the rideshare killer. It's an independent film. Me and my buddy, Tony, we were the producers. We raised the money. And when I say raise the money, we put a lot of our own money into this thing. So one of the things that I, I, I have been thinking a lot about is how can you give these independent films, these low budget independent films, some unique marketing hook. And for the rideshare killer, this is what I came up with. Um, and I'm starting to work on another project that's about a, a guy with a TikTok channel and and, um, and it's a romantic comedy where this guy has a TikTok channel. So that's going to sort of be my next project. But I'm going through, I'm trying to go through some of those same hoops um, before I actually make the movie. What is going to be my unique marketing angle? Um, I just read or saw a bunch of PR on um, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Have you guys heard about that? Um, I've heard movie? of it. And, yeah, and that's that's uh, what a, what a brilliant stroke. And I had heard that these some of these Disney things were going to be falling into the public domain. And um, but just what a brilliant stroke was to go and make the first movie. You know, when when this thing's in the public domain and um, all the PR that they're getting. So uh, that's something I've been following and something I've been thinking about too. Is how can you make these independent films and sort of glom on to something that's already out there that people are already looking for and interested in um, without violating copyright law, obviously. Um, so. So that's that's something I've been following and been been real interested in. And as I said, I'm trying to think about how I can give myself a hook with this romantic comedy that revolves around TikTok. Are you using your as you are you using your children as technical advisors? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It won't be long, to be honest with you. It's you laugh about that. My daughter and that she just turned 10 in December. So at the time she was nine, she built her TikTok channel. It was over 2000 people. She eventually got kicked off because you're supposed to be 13 before. Oh, wow. Yeah, before you have them. But but I'm telling you, these kids really do. They're they get in this to this stuff early. And I look at it as the currency of the future, Um, you know, understanding how these things work understanding how to build an audience i look at it and i think you know these are good skills to have um i I had a guy on my podcast a real you know he was a screenwriter had really been in the screenwriting trenches for decades and we started to kind of have a little bit of a talk about like what is the future of just creative writing and stuff and i i genuinely believe if you're in if you want to be a creative writer a comedian or something along those lines you really want to start with youtube and tiktok and those types of channels i mean your chances of making a living do 
doing that are far greater than they are making a living as a screenwriter. I saw a statistic like, and this was a few years ago that like, there was like 40,000 people that were making, I think it was a hundred thousand dollars or more as YouTubers. And again, this was a few years ago. So now that's got to be 50,000, 80,000 or something. And across, you know, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, all of these channels. And there's not 40,000 people making a hundred thousand dollars a year or more screenwriting. Like, to be honest with you, you know, all the TV writers, all the studio writers there, I doubt that there's even anything close to 40,000 of them. Um, in fact, you could look that up on the WGA of how many actual screenwriters make money in a given year. So that's another thing for people that are into writing, creative writing, want to do something. I think I would probably, if I was younger today, that's probably where I would start is try and build a TikTok channel, a YouTube channel. And, and if you're a comedian, if you're a drama, whatever your, your niche is, just start making stuff on that. And I've had a bunch of people on my podcast, actually more, more so lately that did get their start there. They started a YouTube channel, built up a little bit of a following, and they were able to actually cross over and now are making feature films. So even if your ultimate goal was feature films or TV writing or something like that, I think some of these um, social media platforms really could help you build an audience and get you noticed. And it's cheap and easy. You know, anybody can do it from anywhere in the world at this point. Yeah, actually, there was a story in the news, or I guess in the entertainment news, maybe last week or the week before, excuse me, like it was a 17-year-old uh, high school student that he was mm -hmm. making like horror movies, like really like, you know, 10-minute horror movies mm -hmm. on his YouTube channel. And he just became more and more, he got more and more views. And then he signed a deal, I think it was with A24, uh, that they wanted to produce an actual, you know, film yeah. uh, with him directing it. And then I think the caveat was he had to do it during his summer vacation because he had to go back <laughs> to school in the fall. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. and so and so it is possible. Yeah, and that's a great point about YouTube. Was that I mean because people would say like, where do you? Because uh, people would ask like, where can I find out more about screenwriting? And I was I would always point them to websites and books. And I've had more people say like, well, what about YouTube? And I honestly I wasn't as familiar with it, but I've done a little digging around. And yeah, there's a mm -hmm. there's a an abundance of screenwriting information and education type of things on YouTube that it's. I don't want to say it's untapped, but it's definitely not as discovered as, mm -hmm. I guess, traditional media. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And I, same thing with TikTok. You know, they have this really cool algorithm as you start to watch stuff. So I've started to get a bunch of screenwriters and there's a TV writer there. He's a real funny guy and real, real down to earth. And I can't remember his name now. I'm drawing a blank, but I follow him on TikTok. But it's a real, it's real insight into the TV writing process. And he's been on a bunch of shows and stuff. Um, so I just find those sort of real slice of life type, you know, a real view into this guy's world and life. Um, so I just find it fascinating to see some of that stuff. Wow. Yeah. So, so, okay. So you're working at, so your next project is going to be a rom-com. Yeah, exactly. Now it's more, it's an indie rom-com. So it's more like 500 days of summer, you know, it's sure, going to be sure. sort of like an indie rom-com, but correct. And as I said, it talks, it's, it's sort of about this guy that has this TikTok channel and he's got one of these TikTok channel where he does sort of deep dives into like how things work. And that's sort of the premise is he decides he's going to find out how love works, how chemistry works between two people. And he of course runs into a romance and then, and then um, ultimately falls in love. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. What, so what? what is, do you have a timeline for that at all? Or are you just, it's still very early in the yeah, development? Yeah, so, and I don't really mind sharing this. I haven't shared this on my podcast or anything else, but one of what I'm thinking of doing is, um, I mean, I will finance it like I did the Rideshare Care. I'll do a micro budget if I have to. My sure. producing partner, Tony, is kind of on board. So we're gearing up to do this. But I think the first step to this, honestly, is, um, you know, all of these platforms have, I'm writing the script or I've written the script with TikTok in mind and I use the word TikTok. 
but we could easily change that. And I think we're going to go and try and pitch, you know, some of these other companies like YouTube has their own version of TikTok, TikTok called YouTube shorts, Instagram does, Facebook does, Snapchat does. They all have these short form content things. So what I'm hoping to do is to maybe go and contact some of them and maybe get a little product placement, see if I can raise some of the funds that that funds through that. And I've heard of this working. I've had people on my podcast where they get, you know, I had a, a lady who did a, a movie about running and she was able to get a sports drink, come in and sponsor, you know, be a product placement for the, um, for the movie and stuff. So I'm going to pursue that for a couple of months. If that doesn't work out, then, um, then I'll just go and I'll do a micro budget with my buddy, Tony, and then we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where we land, but I'm going to try and raise a little bit more money, see if I can get some companies involved and, um, and just bring them along and make it a little bit of a bigger movie. Yeah. Awesome. I was just going to throw out there. looks like there are 20,000 WGA members in total. Uh, mm -hmm. And I've read that. I didn't look up the statistics for above six figures or something, but yeah, I'm sure it's uh, quite low compared to that. As I've, I've read a few times that it's a pretty low percentage. And yeah. then um, I know it's only 20,000 anyway, self-publishers. It was funny. I was looking up trying to find the same thing about indie authors. And like one was saying, there's only like 40 people. And I'm like, that's BS. I can name yeah. 40 people probably yeah. off the top of my head who yeah, make yeah. six figures or more. And then there's a lot more out there. So I'd say, yeah, indie authors uh, are the way to go if you want to just make that kind of money aside from YouTube or something. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, cool. Well, I think we're probably towards the end of our time. We've almost used up an hour of your time today, Ashley, but we're going to have you on, of course, again, because we always do. So yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I think this is the third podcast we've done together because we probably did one of my old podcasts as well okay, uh, before yeah, the yeah. fall. So uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and you were like kind enough to meet with me when I moved down to LA and now it's been almost four years. I can't believe it. Yeah, Zef. Wow. Four years. Time goes by quick, man. Yeah. That was before yeah. COVID. Yeah. Cause we met it. Yeah. We yeah. met for sushi. Yeah. Yeah. So back in the day, <laughs> yeah, we'll have to no do it again sometime. I'll look yeah, for it. sure. You're still out in there in Burbank. Uh, yeah. La Cunata, uh, same area. Yeah. So. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect, and so. I have some cool movie ideas. I just started working with some managers and projects. So we'll have to do a catch up. Yeah. Catch up episode yeah. too for Paul and I. Yeah, me. yeah. Looking forward to it. And as I said at the top of the podcast, just if anybody has questions about crypto and NFTs, you know, I'm not sure I can answer a lot with the with the crypto, but certainly with NFTs and my NFTs, just email me. I'm very available. Info at sellingyourscreenplay.com. And as I said, anybody that has a Polygon address and even knows what that is, you're you're two steps ahead of most people. Um, so send me your Polygon address and I'm happy to send you some free frames as well. There you go. And check That's out the nice. podcast. Yeah. Any other uh, social media you want to throw out for people? To um, yeah. And one more plug. Yeah. And I, the Rideshare Killer is now on Tubi as well. If you want to see the Rideshare Killer, it's completely free. You got to watch the ads. Um, yeah. But it's on Tubi. So definitely check it out there and leave a review if you if you like it. Um, but yeah, I'm on all the social media. I mean, it's Ashley Myers on um, Twitter. I think it might be Selling Your Screenplay on Facebook. Um, but if you go to SellingYourScreenplay.com, all my little social media icons are at the top right hand corner. You can click over to those and follow along nice i just put the link on there so that we'll make sure to include it on the show notes for your Perfect. film so that's exciting um yeah again thanks ashley for coming on the show it's been awesome i look forward to you next time and Sounds listeners good. please share please read reviews please check out all of ashley's stuff and once again i'm justin this is the creative writing life podcast and you can find my books on amazon and I'm Paul Zeidman. You can check out my screenwriting blog, Maximum Z at MaximumZ.blog. I've also got my books on uh, Amazon. Like this one, go ahead and ask volume two. This one features an interview with this guy over here, Ashley Scott Myers. Uh, this is from a couple of years ago. It's great stuff. And I've, I love sellingyourscreenplay.com. It's a great site and it's a great podcast. So it's definitely entertaining and uh, 
very informative and very helpful for screenwriters out there. Now for people trying to get into NFTs as well, I'm mm -hmm. sure there'll be a link on there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, anyway, like he said, he's Justin. I'm Paul. Uh, this has been the Creative Writing Life podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy. Most importantly, go write something. <laughs>